listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. What a delight it is to be back again here with you at Oasis. And I appreciate so much the opportunity to come and to share uh, my name is Michael Petty. I'm the uh, mission strategist with Ridge Baptist Association, and we appreciate so much the partnership with you. Uh, a little secret, perhaps, to most of you is that uh, because of your pastor's humility, he's never mentioned to you. He was elected the uh, moderator for our association, which kind of interprets to be in the uh, the director of the board or the president or whatever, uh, but moderator, and he. He's a tremendous partner uh, personally. I appreciate his friendship. I appreciate his, his leadership, his incredible humility. He keeps me in check oftentimes, and that's a good thing. And it's a, uh, it's a blessing uh, to be able to, to come alongside. Not only that, he's a, uh, uh, he's a fellow bulldog. And so that, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, we were at Ovation Barbecue Friday night, and the dishwasher came out and put his put some glasses out or something like that, and he turned, and I had on a, another Georgia shirt, and he said, I can't believe y'all won. And I just looked at him, I said, twice. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's not what we're here to talk about, though, though we could, uh, but we're not. The, um, uh, I want to share with you the, uh, the uh, Ridge Baptist Association, our, our goal and ambition is to help churches be healthy churches. Uh, it's not about an association. Uh, the the uh, it's it's about helping to strengthen churches to be able to give uh, churches the uh, the help they need, the uh, uh, the work that we can do to be able to strengthen uh, individuals in the church. We have the uh, Ridge Bible Training Center that is going. Uh, uh, now, uh, Kevin is one of our uh, teachers. He and I both are, are the, uh, the two primary teachers uh, for the class. We're going to be expanding that, but we're also going to be, uh, as soon as we get space, uh, we're going to be adding uh, a ministry we're calling the REACH Center, R-E-A-C-H, Resource Evangelism and Church Health. And along with the Bible Training Center, uh, we're also going to be providing a worship uh, training and leadership uh, uh, class to where we'll be teaching keyboard, maybe some guitars. Guitars are easy to learn, but unless you're a really good guitarist, it's hard to carry a worship service. And some of our churches really, really, really need some, some help in, uh, in worship uh, uh, you don't know what you have in, in Brother Eugene. Where did he go? He probably went to get a drink of water. Yeah, he's a blessing. He is indeed a blessing, and I, I appreciate each time I come, uh, uh, the worship leadership and the heart and the spirit. But uh, we'll, be, we'll be training not only musicians, but also training worship leaders, lay leaders in the church to be able to help. Uh, we'll be establishing a studio to where if you want to... Uh, uh, to, to teach a class, uh, you come in with an SD card, plug it in, sit down, select the background that you want, and, uh, and record in a, in a good high-quality uh, sound-buffered room uh, to be able to expand ministry and to provide opportunity. 
Uh, you know, maybe that the pastor wants everybody to be on the same page in a small group, and so he'll provide the, the uh, lessons or something like that, but just another tool to be able to help churches uh, be healthy churches, along with some other things that's going to be going, a church planting laboratory and several other things uh, under the uh, umbrella of the REACH Center. And so we're looking forward to that. But uh, all of that notwithstanding, uh, it's, it's good opportunity for ministry to be expanded. But I want to ask you now, if you'll take and open up your copy of the Word of God to uh, the very last page and the last few words of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. So uh, where Matthew ends and Mark begins is where we're going to pick up. And we're going to, to look at what your Bible probably has headed at the top, the Great Commission. Uh, but Matthew chapter 28, we want to begin reading in verse 16. I want to set the stage for you because at the beginning of chapter 28, it says, Now after the Sabbath had begun to dawn toward the first day of the week, and I'm reading from the New American Standard, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, came to the grave, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, and the angel of the Lord descended and the heavens uh, uh, from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And he's not here. He has risen, told him not to be afraid. That Jesus Christ, who was dead, was buried, had rose again. And now we pick up with the resurrect to Jesus Christ. And verse 16 is our text. I want to ask you to stand as we give reverence to the reading of God's Word this morning. Matthew 28 and verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Father, bless the Word of God today. Open our minds and our hearts and our wills to be able to receive your Word and to live it out. In Christ's name, amen. We look today at the fundamentals, and one of the fundamentals, I believe, is this of making disciples. And I want to share with you a little bit of, of my journey. I was, I was uh, saved as an adult. My uh, wife, who is then my girlfriend, um, was uh, the one who God used to bring me to faith in Him. Uh, I would like to say she witnessed to me, but she, it really wasn't a witness. It was a... Uh, she was kind of condemning me in Jesus' name. Uh, I, she was a church girl, and, and uh, I wasn't a church boy. And uh, so I was telling her a little bit about my past because I knew that I really, really liked her. And she said, uh, when I finished, she said, take me home. I don't ever want to see you again. Thought, eh, it didn't work out the way I thought. And so we got home, and, and I was driving those of you who are car lovers will appreciate this. I, at the time, I owned a, a 1977 Ford Thunderbird, and that was when Thunderbird was being heavily influenced by Lincoln's huge, giant, long car. Probably had a six-foot uh, door. It was two-door and, and uh, white leather seats and a royal blue uh, car with a white 
uh, padded top on it. It was, it was something else. And she was sitting next to me when I started talking. When I finished, she had slid all the way across the seat and had her head leaned up against the window. And that's when she said, take me home. I don't ever want to see you again. When we got to her house, she opened the door. She leaned in and looked. And she said, what you need is Jesus in your life. And she turned around and I say, sashayed into the house. Uh, she really wasn't witnessing to me. She was telling me that you're lost and, 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 and I'm done. And that was it. Well, obviously that was not it. Uh, but I did come to faith in Christ that night. And uh, uh, yeah, I, was, uh, I had about a 16-mile a, a drive from her house. She lived on the north end of the county. I was from the south side. And uh, with all that implies. And, and so I, I, I drove up or drove down to where I lived and all the way was, was crying and praying. God help me. God help me. I don't know how to pray, but I knew that I needed God and, um, and, I, and I needed his help. And so, so I was saved that night, but I wasn't a disciple. How do you become a disciple? If, if the challenge of Matthew 28 is to make disciples. How do you come to become a disciple? So, so we had an interim pastor at the church she was a member of and where I started attending. His name was Brantley Seymour. And so Brantley came up to me one day and he said, I want you to go with me on Monday nights. I go out and knock on doors as people who visit the church. And, and so I went and found out that what he was doing was evangelizing and witnessing, though I didn't know enough about anything to know that that's what he was doing until, I thought, okay, he's telling people how to, how, to, how to be saved. And he was asking them. And so this happened for three or four Monday nights. And then, and then uh, we went to another house on another week, and he shared the, the plan of salvation with them. And, and then we went to a house after that, and we got in, and we did the little chit-chat. And he turned, and he said, and he pointed to me, he says, and Michael has some things he wants to share with you. I thought, oh my. <laughs> and so kind of thrown into the deep end. So, so I, I stumbled through a presentation of the gospel and, and, and Brantley Seymour poured into me in a very one-on-one -on -one relational context. And then we called a pastor, Gary Cadwell, and I was sensing God calling me into ministry. And so Gary Cadwell started pouring into me, started investing time in me. He was, I didn't know at the time that, that he was helping make me into a disciple. And then I was called to a church at the age of 23. I've been preaching nearly 40 years now. But uh, uh, 2014 will be, I mean in 2024 will be 40 years. And, and uh, I was called to a church, never had a whole lot of anything. I'd only been a Christian for a few years. And a brother from another church started a disciple group, Master Life. And he invited my wife and me to come and participate. David Biggers, his wife Donna Biggers, we're still great friends. Uh, we still uh, encourage one another in ministry, but he poured into me to be a disciple. That's what Jesus said to do. That's what this passage is all about. That is the great commission that's probably the header above verse 16 in your Bible where it says the great commission. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about making disciples, pouring into people's lives, teaching them to, to know and to do the things that God called us to do and to accomplish His purposes in our lives. 
Now, I've taken and, and, and did an interpretive paraphrase uh, of Matthew uh, chapter 28, verses 18 and following. The Scripture says, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. So from that part forward, and I want to share with you my, my, my descriptive interpretation of this. It says, The resurrected Jesus Christ, recipient of universal sovereignty, instructs His disciples to make disciples of everyone everywhere, beginning with those who are lost and unsaved evangelizing as the first step in making disciples, then baptizing them, continuing throughout life, teaching the disciples to obey all Jesus did, taught, and promised. And he lived it. In making disciples, Jesus the I Am promises his presence with us for successful completion to the very end of time. Now that's, a, that's interpreting this, breaking it down into the Greek and, and, and putting it back together in an expanded way to help us understand that this is what he's calling us to do. And our very first point that we need to, we need to see in this is that Jesus is the universal sovereign. He says it in verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Think about it. There is not a single square inch in all of the universe over which God is not sovereign. Was he sovereign at 11.3 miles up yesterday when, and, and several days when the balloon came floating over? He was sovereign then. I'll tell you just a little side note. If I were running for a political officer for president of the United States, you bet part of my campaign would be having balloons tethered all over the country with my name on it and the, and the opponent's name X'd out on it. I mean, I'm just saying. Were you upset? I was upset. Did we know that they were not spewing some sort of virus on us? Did we know that they were not dropping probes to, to, to continually? We didn't know what. And it's like, if we're sovereign, we're sovereign. And we're a sovereign nation, but we did not behave sovereignly. Jesus never fails to behave sovereignly. He is sovereign over all the universe. Now we like it when things are going well and the sovereign God works in our behalf, but what happens when the sovereign God does things that we don't want? It doesn't negate His sovereignty. He is sovereign over the universe. He's sovereign over the winds and the rains and the storms. He's sovereign over every aspect. The Word of God teaches us that He guides and turns the hearts of kings. The Word of God also teaches us that you and I are to be praying for all who are in authority over us so that we can live a peaceable life. God is sovereign. And here, the sovereign God of the universe speaks to his disciples and he gives them one big do look at verse 19 go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i command you and lo i am with you always even to the end of the age now, I don't want to bore you, and, but I, I do want to point out to you that, you know, we remember from school 
as much as I, uh, as poorly as I did, and as much as I've tried to forget it, I'm married to a literacy coach and English and reading teacher, and if she were here today, when we got in the car driving home, she would tell me all of my my subject verb disagreements and everything else that took place. I don't want to bore you with that, but we know that sentences are made up of subject verb and predicates, and there's only one verb. The verb is the action. In this passage of Scripture, there's one verb, and that verb is a single word in Greek. It's two words in the uh, English translation of the New American Standard, and that is make disciples. The action of this is make disciples. Now, I know there are a lot of people, if, if somebody has a heart for missions, they'll say that the, that the word here says, go, 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 go to the ends of the earth. Go, go, go. That's what you're supposed to be doing. That's what the Great Commission says. Well, it does say that, but we'll explain it in just a minute. It says make disciples. Second thing we see is it says uh, baptizing them. So if a person has a heart for evangelism, it's witness, 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 witness. That's what the Great Commission says. We're supposed to be witnessing. We're supposed to be leading them to faith. We're supposed to be baptizing them. It does say that. That's still not the point of the passage. Then it says we are to be teaching. Well, all of our... Education people love that. Teach, teach, teach. That's what we're supposed to do. <coughs> Excuse me. So we're supposed to be teaching. Well, yes, but what we're really supposed to be doing is making disciples. What does it mean to, to make a disciple? This, is, this make disciples is not only a verb, it's an imperative. It's a command that Jesus gives us. When he says uh, in, in verse 19, Go therefore, commanding us, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. R.T. France, in his commentary on this, said, The sentence structure is of a main verb, the imperative, make disciples, followed by two unconditioned uh, excuse me, uncoordinated participles, baptizing and teaching, which spell out the process of making disciples. France further notes that there's a third subordinate participle leading into the imperative, going. So what he's telling us to do, make disciples. You have to go to make disciples. The raw material of a disciple is a lost person. So when that lost person receives uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and by faith puts their trust in them, then they're to be baptized. And then we are to invest in teaching them to do all that He has commanded us to do. Now, if this is the marching orders of the church, I believe it is. The majority of the churches in America have failed miserably. We make converts. We'll witness. We'll baptize. We'll bring them in and just let them sit. No intentional making disciples. No intentional working and moving in their lives to, to draw them to be more and more, to guide them to be more and more like Jesus. This great commission that we have 
uh, this is, I don't know how long it's been known as the Great Commission. I've done some research to try to find out how long have we called this passage of Scripture the Great Commission, and I can't find the origin of when we first started calling it that. But the sad thing is, in so many cases, it's become the great omission. We just don't do it. We just aren't making disciples in the number, in the way that we should be making disciples. What is a disciple? The short definition of a disciple is learning with the purpose of obeying what is learned. But there's more to it than that. Let's, let's, let's look at discipleship in regard to, to incidental discipleship versus intentional discipleship. The majority of the churches in, in, in the Ridge Association, we go from Frostproof, Indian Lake Estates, all the way up to Davenport and Lothman on the eastern side of Polk County. We have over 60 churches. We ha the number is actually less than that because we have some churches that will never open up after COVID. So, so when they officially file their paperwork disbanding as a church, that number is going to go down to probably 58, 59 churches. But nevertheless, we have, we have nearly 60 churches. And as I travel around in the churches and as I talk with pastors and I work with, with church members and leaders, I find that there are a lot of people who are in leadership in the church who have never been discipled. And so they're guiding to make decisions that aren't the decisions that a disciple should make. Doing things that aren't the way that things should be done. And what we see is that once a person is saved, we bring them into the church in a very incidental way, almost osmosis discipleship. We'll put you here in the mix, and if you choose to plug in, if you choose to get involved, if you choose to, to come along beside others, over the course of time, you will pick up what it takes to be a disciple, mostly. But an incomplete, incidental, disciple-making process. Well, that works well as long as the church is functioning. COVID showed us that we don't always function the way we would like to function. Industrial Revolution brought about uh, a lot in our country. I used to teach history, and I, and I love the section on the Industrial Revolution, the Agricultural Revolution, and how that absolutely changed who we are as, as a people on, on planet Earth. But the Industrial Revolution brought to the church that phrase, we operate like a well-oiled machine. We put all the programs in place... And if you take the initiative to plug into the programs, you'll get what you need. But we're busy. We have kids at the ballpark. Our case, grandkids at the ballpark. I set out Thursday night in the rain in North Florida watching my grandson's team play. Did my grandson play? Nope, never made it to the field. They put him in one time to, to run for a guy who had strained a muscle. He did steal a base. And then right after that, somebody got up and got him out. So he, went, he literally ran from first base to second base. The game was over. And I'm still sitting in the rain. I don't have time to be a disciple because I'm chasing grandkids and kids around. 
There's gymnastics, and there's rec ball, and there's middle school ball, and there's high school ball, and there's cheer, and there's on and on and on and on. And so, when we do have time to get together, let's just really don't, let's just don't get all bogged down in that Bible thing. Let's just, I just need the fellowship. I just need, oh, I need fellowship. Let's just, let's just have some fellowship. Well, if that's all we do, when do we get what we need to be a disciple? When do we get what the Word of God, because He says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When the church is functioning and we are plugged in, we can make great gains on becoming a disciple under an incidental discipling plan. But it sounds to me like Jesus who had died came back to life, met with his disciples, gave them this word. He was not talking about do incidental discipleship. It sounds to me like he was commanding them with the imperative, make disciples, which very much is intentional discipleship. You see, I do not believe we can successfully make disciples if we are not involved in relationship. In fact, if you ask me, I would say, if you reduce the Bible down into a single word theme, what is the one word theme of the Bible? And I've asked this for a lot of groups, and, and you know, we get love, we get forgiveness. We get, I say if we reduce the Bible down to a single word theme, that word is relationship. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Perfect relationship between God and humans. They blew it. The relationship was broken. That's why we call it the fall of man. And the rest of the story is God's work of restoring a broken relationship. I am broken without Jesus Christ. There's nothing I can do to to come to Him. But He reaches down. We used to sing this old gospel song. uh, Really, really, really old gospel song. I was lost and undone without God or His Son when He reached down His hand for me. He's the one who reaches and pulls us up out of the miry clay. He's the one who lifts us up. We don't get up one day and say, Today's my day. I'm getting saved today. You can do it. You can pray a prayer. You can do it. It doesn't matter if we say that God elects us or if we say that the Holy Spirit convicts us. It's both the same because the Spirit and God are one and the same. They are the same. There's, 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 there's one God in three persons. And so whether it's an election or whether it's a conviction, whatever it is, we get hung up on things like that. But the truth of the matter is, He calls us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And then he puts us in a place to where in that relationship we'll be able to become disciples. What was the model Jesus used? The model Jesus used was was pretty simple. Jesus had the twelve. And he poured into the twelve. But out of that twelve, Jesus drew aside three, sometimes four, because Andrew was sort of in and out of this core group. But this three, and this three is Peter, James, and John. It didn't take long until it was just Peter and John because James died at the sword of Herod. Jesus poured into them. So Peter and John 
Look at what they accomplished. First, second, third, John. The gospel according to John. The author of, uh, or the, the one who, who wrote down what Jesus said in the book of Revelation. And Peter, first and second Peter, in the first half of the book of Acts. He didn't write it, but it's about him. It was this ministry that, that they later said turned the world upside down for Jesus. If we go to the group, we know most about one of the one in the group, apart from these, who is Matthew, the tax collector who wrote the gospel according to Matthew. So Jesus poured into these in relationship. Read the, read, the, read the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, looking specifically for the part about relationship. Told Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. That's a pretty close relationship when you call one of your followers the devil. I mean, think about it. Discipling does that. It kicks people in the, in the spiritual rear end. Discipleship also reaches out and hugs somebody and draws them close. Discipleship comes along and puts your hands under their arms and lifts them up so that they'll be able to stand. Discipleship is involved in all of that because that's what relationship is. We cannot make disciples without relationship. And Jesus modeled that and demonstrated that in a significant way. Our last point is this. What is the indispensable gauge of success? You know, if you're a, if you're a driven person, if you have a driven personality and, and, and your approach to things, I like to define what it is that I'm working for. What's, what's my def- How do I know if I've succeeded? I like that. My wife's a perpetual list maker. She keeps a running list. My daughter's the same way. They, they start a list and they, they find great pleasure in sitting down and, and having something to drink and, 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 and marking off, oh, did that, did that, did that. That's their mark for success for that day. And they always put more on their list than they're, than they're capable of accomplishing in a day's time. But that's okay because these items that were still left go on tomorrow's list. And it's, that's the way they operate. We, need to, we do the same thing. I mean, success. What's our, what's our measure of success? Well, I think we need to figure out what is the measure of success for being a disciple. J. Oswald Sanders defined success this way, or defined discipleship this way. A disciple of Christ is a learner of Jesus who accepts the teachings of his master, not only in belief, but in lifestyle. Let's restate the short definition of a disciple. It's learning with the purpose of obeying what is learned. You see, a disciple is one who's called to a life that's governed by everything that Jesus commanded. Is your life governed by everything Jesus commanded? If not... Don't beat yourself up and call yourself a failure. Just understand that you haven't met the level of success that Jesus laid out. Obey all that I have commanded you. That's a lifelong process of growing to that, of coming to that place to where we are able to accomplish that. D.A. Carson said in his commentary, the aim of Jesus' disciples, therefore, is to make disciples of all men everywhere without distinction. 
one of the marks of accomplishing discipleship is that we are able to pour into someone, build them into a disciple. That person that we've poured into and they're a disciple now reaches to others and makes a disciple, who in turn makes a disciple, who in turn makes a disciple. You see, it's very much a grassroots work that Jesus accomplished. It's very much what we see that, that, that the church early on was not in buildings. The church was in homes. Philemon describes this best when Paul was writing the letter to Philemon about the slave Onesimus. And as he says, he sends these greetings. He says, read this letter, boom, 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 and to the church that meets in your home. You know, I believe that there's coming a day when we will not have the privilege of gathering together. I'm, I've, I've done a good bit of research and some writing on this. I believe that we in the United States are going to be in time somewhere between China and Cuba in relation to the church. And China, if they're persecuting, you're not a part of the, the, the state church that has an edited Bible, that has a red stamp on the front saying this is an approved Bible. Chinese Communist Party sends people out into to all of the established churches to spy and to listen. Because if you say anything that's contrary to what they've approved in this red stamp Bible, then, then they remove you from the pulpit of that church. The church has gone underground, and if they find you in this underground church... They oftentimes will imprison you. And what do they do sometimes with those who are in prison in the CCP because of religious persecution? Well, we'll harvest your organs because you're just one of those cruddy old Christians. But here is a good CCCP, a CCP member who needs a kidney. Uh, we'll take yours. That's not really happening, is it? Yes, it is. I have a friend who is back in the United States now who is a, a, a missionary and who was serving in, in, uh, in China. And he wound up leaving after around 15 years of service because they were reproducing as disciples so greatly. He was not being prob uh, troubled by the government. But all of the disciples that he was making were. For their sake, he left. He's now pastoring here in the United States. They're not pastoring, but he's on staff here in the United States serving. Continues to support the work. They had underground seminaries, underground churches. There was a network that was phenomenal. There were literally hundreds of thousands of people who came to faith through the ministry that was taking place during the 15 years that he was there. What have you done in the last 15 years, spiritually? What are you doing? Incidental, osmosis discipleship, or intentional discipleship? When we look at the, at the Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. I want you to remember this. 2T22. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. 2T22. Five generations of disciples in this one verse 
Look at what Paul says to Timothy. And the things, the gospel, number one, and the things which you heard from me, number two, in the presence of many witnesses, number three, these entrust to faithful men, number four, who will be able to teach others also, number five, five generations of discipleship. In 2T22, in 2 Timothy 2.2. Five generations. The success of discipleship is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's the call of God in our lives. That's the work that God wants us to accomplish. And this is how we can gauge success as a disciple maker. So what do we do? How do we, how, how do we go from here? Well, one thing is, is we need to understand that all that we do, we do for the glory of God, period. And He's given the church. You know, the church is not a building. The church is sitting in the seats. We're the church. He's given the church one thing to do. One thing, one task, one assignment. And that is make disciples. I believe, I believe that a possible scenario of what we could see here in the United States. See, Cuba, I never, I never went to Cuba. In Cuba, if you are embrace the liberation theology of the, of the Communist Party uh, that's taking place under the Castros, then, then you're, al- you're allowed to continue operating as a church. But if the church does not embrace that, They said, okay, you can still do church, but mm, no building permit for you, so no building. Pastors began to realize that my front porch is my pulpit and my front yard is my church building. And people began to gather. And the gospel is spreading both in China and in Cuba in tremendous ways. I believe in the United States we're going to see, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I'm not a... Um, you know, I'm not chicken little and the sky is falling and all of that, but I do believe this is what we're going to see. I believe if you do a little search on the World Health Organization website about viruses that they're watching to be the next pandemics, plural, there's a virus that's in monkeys that they're watching, there's a virus in Australia that's that's in possums, and that virus has already leaped into to humans. Uh, they're, they're watching a boatload of, of bat viruses uh, around the world, a good bit that's in China. And you couple that with the uh, gain-of-function research that's taking place in laboratories that are paid by uh, government workers who are doing it. Government workers, what comes to mind? I don't know. Let's think of seven men standing out by the road with a yellow vest on and a shovel and one person digging. I mean, just, just think about it. Think about the product of, of our public school system, the wokeness that's going on. These are government employees, and my wife's one of these, and I understand that, but this is what's taking place. So, so as we look at this, we see that there's probably more pandemics to come. World Health Organization's words, not mine. Well, politically, it appears that socialism is gaining grounds. I taught history for a few years when I was a church planner. 
Uh, socialism never turns out well. Uh, you know, I, I, I wish they had been in my history class when we talked about socialism because all these people who were pushing for socialism would realize it sounds good at first, but it really stinks in the end. So socialism may take over, and when they do, they're going to continue spending here in the United States, and our debt's going to get larger and larger and larger. They're going to be looking for new avenues to be able to pay off this large debt so that the government can spend more and more and more. And when they do, they're going to say, churches are no longer tax-exempt. Okay, well, your contribution that you write, you may not be able to deduct that on your taxes. That's probably not going to be the big issue. The big issue is going to be when the county and city government say, oh, if the IRS says you're not at tax exempt, then you're not tax exempt here locally, so therefore you go back on the property tax roll. I did a little research recently. First Baptist Church, Winter Haven downtown, if they were paying property tax, it would be $85,000 a year to pay property tax. Little tiny church building where our office is, is currently uh, meeting that has about 20 senior adults in it. 25 or more. I'm, I'm not sure. It's been a while since I've worshipped, so I'm not sure how many they have. Their tax bill would be $14,000 a year. Are churches really going to be able to afford to pay taxes on our property, or are we going to have to say, we're going to have to come up with something creative? So what if four congregations went in and maintained one property? This one meets on first Sunday, second Sunday, third Sunday, fourth Sunday, fifth Sunday. Let's do something big for the youth or something for the children where all the congregations come together. But the rest of the time, we're going to be in homes and living rooms. Building relationships and making disciples. Well, that now looks more like a blessing than it does a curse. God move in a powerful way in our lives to make your church what you choose. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 says that we're to do this for how long? To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Until everybody's like Jesus. That's the call of God. You and I are to make disciples until everybody has reached the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. Just like Jesus. That's the call he's made. Are you doing it? Are you accomplishing that in your life right now? I'm going to pray and, and Brother Eugene's going to, to play for us. If God's moving your heart and you want to come and pray, you want to talk to somebody, you want to wait until Brother Kevin gets out to say, how can we do more of that disciple-making? Oh, he and I have had this conversation from this sermon a number of times because this is the drum that I'm beating because this is what I believe that God wants us to accomplish is to be disciples. But nobody's going to force you to do it. but all of you are invited to do it. Let's pray. Father, what a tremendous opportunity we have. Right now, Lord, in our country, we have freedom, and that freedom may go on indefinitely. 
But it appears that all of the forces that are against the church now, all of these forces could cause us to rethink how we do what you told us to do. Now the truth is, you didn't tell us to make worshipers, you told us to make disciples. Because disciples worship. You didn't tell us to make teachers, you told us to make disciples, because disciples both learn and teach. We spend an awful lot of time doing things you didn't tell us to do while we neglect the one thing you told us to do, make disciples. Oh God, forgive us. We've sinned against you and against your word. We have, we have pursued our own ways. God, we desperately need your power and your work in our lives. We need you, Father, to help us to reorder our lives so that we will be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Relationships take time. Lord, there's no matrix where we can take a pill and it goes a certain direction. There's a relationship that we build in Jesus' name. Where he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. Where we as small groups in relationship understand clearly that his melody is so sweet that it causes the birds to hush their singing. How could we possibly ignore? How could we possibly take on other things and not do the one thing you told us to do. Oh God, move mightily in our lives and our hearts and our families. God, I pray specifically for daddies and husbands. God, it is our responsibility to lead our family. Each of us men with families, we are the family priest. It is our job. God, help us to do what needs to be done to make disciples who make disciples beginning in our homes. God, give us a heart and a hunger to, to learn how to be a man who can lead men. How to be a woman who can lead women. How to be a dad who can lead his family. How to be a servant in the church who can lead in the church. How to be what you want us to be because the world is going to hell. There's no plan B. The only plan that you had was through your disciples to make disciples. Who are we to think that we've got a better way today? God, take us back to the old way. From that mountaintop appointed with the disciples. To hear the words, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that you have commanded us. And then rejoice knowing that you are with us always, even to the very end of the age. Oh, hallelujah, God. Let us, let us focus on one thing and do it well. God, convict us for your righteousness. 
in Christ's name I pray. Amen.